Welcome to the Monday Minute of the Hunt Back Country podcast. As usual, these are shorter and more informal episodes where we answer your listener questions. Steve, how are you this morning? Good. Yeah, feel good. Kind of a nice lazy weekend with the family, just chilling, hanging out. Uh, been kind of crummy-ish weather here in Boise, just kind of 40 is, 40 degrees, little rain, snow mix. So the getting out, getting any training, at least right around my house, was kind of impossible, so couple peloton rides and um yeah that is i think though the worst thing is when it's just wet but not frozen just because trails are a mess it just makes it hard to get out whether you want to hike bike you can't snowshoe obviously because it's just wet precip you don't have the snow like you did a couple weeks ago yeah yeah it's a crummy like dry springs or well yeah awesome for getting out and hiking and the boise foothills the this kind of weather is pretty miserable most of the trails are going to be shut down. Well, before we dive into some listener questions, just wanted to give a few timely updates. Next week, we will be taking off for the Hunt Expo in Salt Lake City, the Western Hunting and Conservation Expo, to give the full name. Um, Again, we'll have a booth there. I believe it's 4430, um, if I remember correctly. We're same exact spot we were last year. So if you're there last year uh same spot so yeah i hope to see many of you there and then we have mentioned this in the past but just to keep communication flowing unfortunately the pacific northwest sportsman show which we also normally attend is the same exact dates as hunt expo and uh, we just can't be in both places at once and so we're going to be at hunt expo we will not be at that portland show but we will have packs in the born and raised booth there'll be a display pack and then also over at the pn wild booth another display pack um so again we don't have our full presence we don't have packs to try on things of that nature but if you guys are attending that show look for those packs again with either born and raised or pn wild and on that pack there's going to be a special qr code where you can sign up and get a special offer so even though we won't be there if you are interested in just seeing a display pack or potentially interested in buying with a special offer at Portland again, go look for the pack there. Scan that QR code and it will get you taken care of. So it's going to be fun to see a bunch of you guys at Hunt Expo. Um, so yeah, be sure to stop by whether you want to check out a pack or just say, hey, it'd be great to see you. And then speaking of events steve this one is a bit further out but we do have final date and location for the golf tournament right yeah yep so i what it was going to be the end of june out at falcon crest and then we started we had our first like sit down meeting with them and discovered that they're going turn it into a private golf course in the in the coming years and it was a big bummer you know one that's like one of my favorite courses to golf around here and two just you know it's like uh yeah, it just seems like everything's getting you know more expensive, less accessible, and it's a perfect example of one where it's going to go turn to private, and you'll never be able to golf it again unless you happen to be a resident that lives out there, know somebody to get on. So, uh, started looking for new golf courses. Found uh, Shadow Valley Golf Course is one of my another one that I always really enjoyed playing. Had a meeting with them last week, and we got a date set for July twelfth. Um, so that's a Friday out there. And then Thursday night, we're going to do like a pre-party at Top Golf. So um, yeah, July 12th for the golf tournament. Starting to, um, I don't know, I don't, I don't really have a goal for when we'll get registration up for this, but we'll certainly keep everybody in the loop. I would say 
I don't know, no later than, you know, sometime in March, I would say we'll have it all up and done and, and they'll uh, get registered and imagine something will sell out pretty quick. So if that's still something you're interested in, shoot me an email, kind of get you on a list and keep you notified that way as well. I don't know if I'm jumping the gun by asking this, Steve. When we, because we had talked with this golf tournament about, you know, any money raised, like going to something, going to a project, mm-hmm. a charity, et cetera. And I know that we, you and I had a conversation with someone that was offline uh, about some potential. Is that something we can share or talk about yet or think that's the direction we may uh, go? Well, yeah, I mean, so we talked with Idaho Fishing Game about seeing if they had any kind of projects that needed funding, something that would go, I, I think my issue sometimes with things is just not knowing where the money goes or how much of the money actually makes it to the cause, right? A lot of things are run, uh, let's say opposite of XO as far as like, they're not very efficient, right? So maybe say you donate a hundred dollars, like 10 of that actually ends up getting somewhere that does real good. Um, and, uh, so that, that I've always been like leery of certain ones, you know, certain charities or whatever. Let's, uh, we're doing like a pet, a pet project. Um, doing some type of project where like I can 100% like we'll get a bunch of people, you know, myself included guys here at EXO will donate the time and, and find a project that needs like funding and make sure it happens and goes to, you know, a, uh, something where you get to really see the result from. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like um, direct we'll, on the we'll ground see. habitat yeah. improvement or something. Yeah. Something, but just to elaborate any further, I don't have any details yet. That's yeah. Just still in the early stages. Yeah, it'll be fun to explore that stuff. It's something that uh, we haven't directly done in that manner, so it'll be fun to learn about the process and what's possible for sure. To dive into listener questions for today, we had one about sleep systems, which we've talked plenty about. Uh, Part of the question is about synthetic versus down, which again, we've talked about. But I liked this question because it came through and it was, very specific and as i've mentioned before when we have a very specific question we can uh, try to dive into that more specifically with a more specific answer versus just general hey down versus synthetic type of discussion so i'll go ahead and read it he said i have a sleeping bag question for you guys i'm headed to the north brooks range to hunt caribou in the last week of august we will be transported in and we'll be using a Cabela's Alaska Guide Series tent for our base camp. I feel confident we will stay in th- sorry. I feel confident we will stay dry inside that tent. So I feel like it would be fine to use my catabatic down quilt. However, I am also confident that we will end up getting wet at some point while being out hunting. Is down or synthetic better for drying out clothes while sleeping? What has your experience been with both down and synthetic while in wet conditions? So again, he was specific to say, where is he going? Which is North Brooks range. Mm-hmm. When is he going? Late August. Logistics such as transport. It's uh, They're flying in. They're getting dropped. They have a base camp. This is the shelter, etc. So with all of those specifics in mind, Steve, if you were doing that very specific hunt, what would you do for sleep system? Um, I can't answer this in any educated way because I haven't used a synthetic sleeping bag since 20 years ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then 
to my knowledge, you did. I don't. I was like, as he was reading this question, I start my mind started wandering. That you obviously took synthetic on your mountain goat hunt. Yeah, uh, you took a synthetic enlightened equipment quilt, correct? Correct for goat. Yeah. Correct. Um, I don't know if we've ever really followed up on that, and if you're gonna use that again this year. So, what do you got to? Yeah, it, I thought his question was interesting with all those specifics. Uh, he mentioned, you know, he thinks he'll be fine carrying his down or versus catabatic. He actually didn't outright say, should I do that? Is that a good idea? What would you do? He then transitioned to talk about is down versus synthetic better for drying out clothes, which is a general question, not necessarily related to his specific scenario. So, um, yeah, if I was doing this specific hunt, I would take my down catabatic quilt. Uh, that is what I took on my sheep hunt more recently in Alaska, whereas the year prior for the goat hunt, I did use that enlightened equipment synthetic bag. Um, at the end of the day, I, I would have been fine on that specific goat hunt with down, but I did uh, see enough possibility where the synthetic did make sense for that goat hunt. But again, to go back to being specific, on that goat hunt, it was a totally different part of Alaska than the Northern Brooks. It was a totally different style of hunt, meaning we weren't in a base camp. We didn't have a big guide series tent. We weren't staying mobile. Uh, we weren't flying in. And I bring that up because for this guy with flying in, since he's not backpacking, for example, as we were on the goat hunt, he's going to be able to have a little bit more gear with him. He's not going to be as have to be as weight conscious. So the reason that matters for things like his sleep system would be he can have extra layers. So for this guy, if he is out hunting during the day and gets wet, yes, he may or may not want to and may or may not need to use his sleep system at night to dry out his clothes. But another opportunity he's going to have is, oh, I can get back to base camp. I probably can have a dry base layer or even like another dry mid layer with me. So it's not going to be necessarily as critical for you for him in his context to dry out his clothing using his sleep system because he can probably have extra clothing whereas if it were a backpack hunt like my goat hunt was and again in a totally different part of alaska that's known to be uh much wetter it was obviously more critical for me to think through things like oh, what if we are drenched what if i do have to fully dry out what if not only I get wet one day, but it's wet like day after day after day. Um, and so again, the specificity really matters. I even on the goat hunt to go to that one, not only is it known to have rain, but it's you're in coastal southeast Alaska. So you're just generally in a much higher humidity, damp environment, which means even if you get wet, and it stops, you know, raining, there's no precipitation. The conditions atmospherically are such that things just don't dry well. And so it it can be more critical to have synthetics, whether that's clothing or sleep systems, because things just don't dry out very well there. And so you you spend day after day after day there, and it's not necessarily one direct exposure of moisture to down, 
but it's this prolonged buildup of moisture that then doesn't dry out well in that specific environment. So yeah, long story short, um, if I was doing what he was doing, I would take a catabatic quilt. I took a catabatic quilt on my sheep hunt. We got wet. I have used it to dry out clothing to get to his question. To answer more directly his question, does down or synthetic work better for drying out clothes? Synthetic will work better, but that doesn't mean that you can't use down. Um, so yeah, I do, again, just like thinking through the specific scenario and not just having a general question of, is down better or synthetic better? I'm going to Alaska. Try to take down or synthetic. Well, what are you doing in Alaska? Where? When? How? All that stuff matters. Yeah. Sounds like he already has the catabatic quilt. Um, certainly, I'm, I'm going to echo a lot what you just said here as far as his the flight service he's using is going to give him a weight limit of oh, 75 pounds of gear and weapon, right? So he should have plenty of room to pack extra clothes, like you mentioned. Um, so he's going he's gonna to be able to fly in with a whole extra set of clothes and then you know hang up his wet clothes in the tent to dry out. The overnight and just wear dry clothes is not going to be that much of an issue. And then one one note I do have, because this is from some personal experience, I've been, been on two caribou hunts up there in the brooks. The wind can be absolutely uh, just, I don't know, it's just insane. Um, just sustained like 40 mile an hour winds that don't, it's not like down in Idaho, you get like, you know, 10 to 15, 20, and then they'll gust. Like I've never been to anything like that up there where, there was no gust it was just like 40 miles an hour like steady um pretty crazy but we uh the very first trip we had like two or three days that we lost to wind and then we started because the tents like making sure this would just depend on where you're how how confident you feel that your tent is staked out but we started packing up we had dry duffels we started packing up just you know loosely throwing in our sleeping bag and extra clothes and all that inside the duffel and then uh, just sealing that up. And then before we left camp, that way, if we were gone all day and we came back, we knew everything was dry. So uh, if, or sorry, the, the, the wind hadn't blown the tent away and your sleeping bag was, you know, a mile across the freaking tundra. Uh, yeah. So that would be just with the down, even in particular, that would be very, uh, just pay attention to that, that, that your tent is staked down really, really well. And then when you do leave, uh, throw stuff back in whatever you brought it out there into the field with and grabbing a like waterproof duffel or at least very water resistant would be a very good idea just to uh, you know you are in Alaska no help is is coming immediately you got back to camp at dark that night and found your stuff all across the tundra um, that could make for a pretty miserable night great advice shifting gears Steve this uh, question comes through and it's I'm sure we've mentioned this on the podcast. I can't say that we have, but I'm just sure we have because I've seen it as questions um, and hadn't thought about it in a while. But someone asked and basically wrote in with almost a request and said, I want the lid of the K4-5000 to be able to be used as a detachable day pack. And then he went on to say, that is the only thing that keeps me from buying your pack, which is a, a strong statement and also felt like saying, Okay, we maybe for someone like that, we should clarify that uh, it's not going to happen and why, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I understand the the want for it, right? Um, 
the the EXO, we've always we've talked about this a lot, right? That the reason we started EXO was to build a pack that was light and comfortable enough to wear all day long. Um, that you never like, you know, transitioning back to you used to have a frame pack that you know, if you're backpacking, you'd hike in and you'd set up a base camp and you had a little day pack attached to that, like you know, it's going back 20 years ago. Um, because the frame pack was just miserable to hunt in all day long. Uh, and then you, but you'd still have it kind of with you to where, you know, the goal was to build something that was completely capable of, um, you know, again, being comfortable all day long. And the second you kill something, you're instantaneously hauling meat. Um, that there's no like, oh, I got to go back to the truck or I got to go back to camp and get, get the meat carrier. I have to haul out a small load now. Like to me, that was. It's just a huge loss of of time and efficiency. You're you're burning a lot of energy to get back to to get wherever you got to get to get to your pack frame where you can actually start hauling meat. So that's like the premise of EXO, and I kind of have stuck with that. Right? Um, we you know for on K three we did have that our thing called the Slurpee Stalker, which you know certainly has applications, and maybe that's what this guy is looking to do. Where you know, there are certainly times where you want to drop your pack and sneak that final, you know, three, 400 yards into an animal. And I understand that argument. Um, but at the end of the day, that's just, you know, for me to take a lid and convert it into something that's like a fanny pack, um, for it to be functional, you'd have to change the design of the lid quite a bit and then add, you know, you've, you've got, it seems silly, but you got three, four ounces at a bare minimum of extra straps and buckles to make that happen. And that's just, you know, with such a focus on, you know, keeping weight to a minimum uh, and, and really just having the, the essentials of what you need back there, just not something that's high on my priority list. So it's one of those situations where if you tried to make a lid into a fanny pack, you would end up with a probably a pretty poor lid and a pretty poor, poor fanny, fanny pack, pack or day yeah, pack, yeah. right? So it's like yeah, for sure. Do you want a good stocking pack or day pack? Or do you want a good lid? Because you can't really have both and do each one of those well in one physical product yeah. in this instance. Yeah. I think it'd just be a compromise of, uh, it doesn't do either one great, but you can you know use it as either or, but not exceptionally well. And I'd say the, like... Nine times out of 10, when I drop my pack for a stock, I end up regretting it, right? Because that the animal moves and then you follow it and you follow it. I've had multiple stories, you know, where of uh, archery hunting deer early, you know, in, in August or early September. And all of a sudden you end up like 800 yards away from your pack and you're barefoot because you took your boots off to do the stock. And uh, it's definitely like I try to keep that pack on uh, the only time I would take it off. Uh, would be like stocking a mule deer or something like that. Uh, and I try to keep that thing on until the very last moment. And it is nice to, you know, if you got to sneak, you know, your your hands and knees crawling or I'm like vividly remembering this one buck I killed, right? Or I'm like literally like rock climbing down this little rock cliffy thing to get, get into position to shoot this buck. And uh, like I couldn't have done that with a pack on. Um, so yeah, I, I understand the guy's point and where he's coming from. It's just not something that like, fits within the ecosystem of EXO at this current time. So this question could be a a giant like hour long discussion. Maybe it should be, but I also say that knowing that I feel like we're gonna revisit some of these topics and some of the 
podcast ideas that you and I've had, Steve, and kind of that content project we've talked about. But to touch on it briefly for guys who uh, maybe want a more timely answer. This guy wrote in and said, I've watched your rifle journey over the last five plus years. You guys both started with some factory rifles, have upgraded some factory rifles, and then moved to custom rifles. So he said, do you regret the time and money you spent on previous rifles and wish you had gone straight to the full custom route? And then he went on to say, I'm trying to spend more time improving my shooting to be more effective in the three to 400 yard ranges with my rifle. He said, I'm considering upgrading a factory rifle and it is in a more traditional cartridge of 270 Winchester. It seems that from where I'm at my shooting journey, this may be a worthwhile rifle, even if I do build another gun someday in a more modern, modern long range capable offering, such as one of the PRCs. Thank you for any thoughts you have and appreciate the work you guys put into the podcast. So again, there is a lot there, but I wanted to pull out a few things in that. For me, um, do I regret starting with the factory rifle or he, um, in his email, he got more specific on the Tika that I built and upgraded over time. Do I regret that? Mm -hmm. No, not at all. Not absolutely. Do I regret going... Or do I wish I went straight to a full custom? No, definitely not. Because The main reason because if you do that without experience of other rifles, you're probably going to build a custom rifle without knowing exactly what you want, meaning you haven't gone through the process of learning what you do and don't like, the specific things that you want, not just what a builder says you should have or what you read about online, but truly what you want. If you don't go through that process, you're probably going to regret slash wish you made some changes to a full custom build. So I don't recommend going straight to a full custom build. But I also wanted to say in his question, more important than rifles, he said, I'm trying to spend more time improving my shooting to be more effective hunting in the three to 400 yard ranges, which I think is Honestly, where most hunters should be, that's a good range to want to extend to, be capable at. But the key thing is there, spend more time. I, like for those ranges, three to 400 yards, it probably, with few exceptions, if you have a semi-decent rifle, you probably don't need to do anything in terms of spending money and just actually spend more time. Like work on technique, spend time, shoot, spend money on ammo. Uh, maybe upgrade an optic depending on what you have, things like that. You probably don't need to make a massive rifle change for that distances. And even if you do make a rifle change, again, none of that matters. You could have the greatest custom rifle ever. If you don't spend time with it, doesn't matter. So, uh, and I'll also say, especially for the three to 400 yard hunting range, like if that's what you're going to be at, a full custom rifle is definitely not needed. I don't like, I can't even say that my full custom rifle was any more quote unquote accurate than my Tika was. Um, my Tika shot fantastic and really to hunt at three to 400 yard ranges. All the stuff you see on the internet about tiny groups is one, usually not totally relevant or accurate, period, but just does not matter, especially for hunting at three to 400 yards. Um, and nor does I think his cartridge. Yeah, I mean, he's shooting at 270. Like, you're totally fine. 
keep shooting that 270. You can be completely proficient to three to 400 yards with time and practice and probably outshoot a lot of guys who maybe have a much quote-unquote nicer rifle but don't spend time. So just want to bring that up. But Steve, I know you've been like some of the content project stuff, maybe diving more into rifles and doing like we've talked about doing more budget build stuff, things like that. It'll be fun to see where that goes. Yeah, I haven't, um, I haven't been around a bad shooting rifle yet. <laughs> I know it sounds, I don't know what that even looks like, to be honest with you. Like we started how many years ago did we, uh, Weatherby, we use those Weatherby Vanguard backcountry, I believe. And with factory 143 ELDXs, that was a 270. I, I shot, I mean, I, I was actually um, one of those deals where my phone popped up memories, right? And it was a memory, a, a photo of a group I took, you know, it was like a five shot group, all like three quarter MOA, you know, uh, at a hundred yards, just like, just absolutely dialed. Um, and then, and then, yeah, I, I've, I've had four rifles now but from there to what I've got. Every single one shoots certainly sub moa um and i've been around like a lot of you know friends are getting gun like everybody i know that has a gun just they all shoot sub moa um so i don't i've actually come around i, th I think rifles and you know factory ammunition and the tolerances and what you know these guns are being produced um at a very high level right now with a lot of uh, precision that you know, whether it's a $600 factory gun or a $6,000 custom gun, I, I definitely that gap has narrowed substantially to where you can, you could certainly have a good factory Tika or even these SIG crosses, you know, I guess they're, I guess that's a factory rifle, but what are they like 1500 bucks, something like that. Yeah, um, somewhere in there. But those, those things shoot lights out um, to where I think you could have a good factory gun that shoots better than a full custom gun. Uh, but you're talking tiny little differences here. So, yeah, part of that, <laughs> part of the content project was like, I was half joking around, like it'd be fun to do like a Walmart, quote unquote, Walmart hunt, where it's like, go to Walmart, buy absolutely everything you need and go hunt. Because it's like, um, certainly with like, you could probably get a pretty quality rifle and factory ammunition and go out and shoot really, really well with it. I think, uh, yeah, the whole rifle world, um, it gets, you know, like a lot of things, it gets pretty silly, right? You're splitting so many freaking hairs um, and people just get lost in the weeds on what really matters. And at the end of the day, get get a weapon, get familiar with it, shoot it a lot. And then whatever you have confidence in that weapon, that's going to far outweigh any benefits from like a full custom rifle versus factory or something. But maybe in this guy's case, he's got a 20 year old, you know, 270 and, and yeah, like buying maybe not even a custom gun, but just going and buying a brand new rifle, uh, a brand new 270 with some of the advancements they've made in machining and creating tighter tolerances and stuff like that. He's going to see some pretty big improvements, but mm -hmm. um, I would, I don't know what, what would you say? matters right i mean really good rings really good scope um probably a break or suppressor yeah, you what I mean? matters. What, if you had checked yeah well, if you had a yeah, checklist of like these are the things that have to be there what's that to you what matters downrange is essentially ammo in a barrel like if you have a mm. good shooting barrel and a really crappy quote unquote crappy. I don't obviously mean it's crappy, but like 
if you have a good shooting barrel, because when people think of what matters, they're typically thinking of like accuracy, consistently, consistency, group size, etc. So like at the end of the day, if you have a barrel that shoots certain ammunition or certain bullet well, that's where it all starts, right? Like you could have a great custom action and a barrel that doesn't shoot and then you could have vice versa. You could have a barrel that shoots lights out and like a cheap action that's rough or, you know, isn't as smooth or what have you. So from like, that's where it starts because that's the, that's the capability of like the system itself. But then you start funneling that down, I think, to, okay, well, the the barrel with this bullet or with this ammunition is capable of shooting groups, but am I? So, and then that's where it comes into like other components, like stock choice, things like that. So can I get behind this rifle comfortably? Can I shoot it consistently from different positions? And so then you're talking about fitting kind of that rifle to you in a way that you're comfortable in a way that you're repeatable shooting it from different positions. And then I think to your point, Steve, like mentioning things like action or um, scope rings and scopes, that's like going to be more, okay, in the field, I need to make sure it's reliable, repeatable. It's not going to lose zero. It's going to be able to take some bumps and still maintain, you know, it's zero and deliver. So there, there is multiple ways that I think different components, or I should say different, there's different reasons that different components matter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, if you just start with something that has some mechanical, by that I just mean the system is capable of shooting accurate, and then now introduce you as the shooter, being able to get behind that and use the rifle's capability and accuracy consistently. So things like how do you fit? How comfortable are you? And then things like quality components that are going to ensure, okay, this rifle is accurate and I'm accurate, but now is it repeatable, reliable? Can it take some bumps, you know, on a hunt, that type of thing. And so that's where you get in, in my perspective, more into like scopes and rings and stuff like that. So, I mean, we'll think one thing, there's so many good factory offerings. I totally agree with you, Steve. Like there's I hate it. It's like there's never been a better time to buy a rifle off the shelf. Yeah. When you start going into custom, what you get isn't something more accurate, but you start getting more options, meaning, well, maybe I want to shoot a different cartridge or maybe I want to shoot a different barrel length. Maybe I know I'm going to want to upgrade, you know, a stock immediately or get into a chassis because I want a folder, et cetera. And one thing to realize is like you can start with a Tika and shoot it. And maybe over the course of, you know, a few years with making changes, you could end up spending as much on upgrading a Tika as you would have have spent on a full custom from the very beginning because you're like, oh, I got a Tika, but now I want a chassis. Now I want to change my chassis. I want, you know, a different magazine system. Now I want, you know, a different shorter barrel. Uh, I'm going to change the trigger. Like at the end of the day, you may have spent much as a full custom over that time. But I also think that that's almost a benefit because you don't have to sink all the cost in right away, right? Like if you're going to end up spending, call it four grand on a Tika, 
maybe you do that over the course of, you know, four years and you don't have to fork out four grand up front. But also you just may start that process and go, yeah, maybe I will upgrade a barrel later, but heck, maybe I won't, right? Like you're just not mm -hmm. as fully committed. And I think at the end of the day, the system is going to be essentially the same capability either way. But you just can't walk in right now off the shelf and go, I want a factory rifle that maybe has a more obscure barrel length or, you know, there's yeah. obviously are yeah. more options with chassis and stuff like that these days. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot there. I just don't, the, the idea of that custom means better from a performance perspective is if people think that way, that's probably... Well, yeah, I mean, that's historically probably true, but at, at this point it's it's that gap is really tightened up well more to come on that guys uh we got uh actually a lot of just to like give you a, a peek behind the scenes one thing that we've talked about this year uh steve and i you've had that we've had this conversation with a lot of listeners know is we realize we've been doing the podcast for so long and a lot of times we we think to ourselves internally, oh, we've talked about that before, but yeah. there's so much that we plan to revisit because either things have changed or our perspective has changed, et cetera. And I mean that like about big things, maybe like building a rifle, but also about very small things. So um, just to let listeners know, you guys know, we plan to revisit a lot of stuff, even if we've talked about it in the past and just take fresh looks at a lot of components, gear, and other things um, in the coming year. So it's it's going to be fun to revisit some things and go, yeah, we talked about that four years ago, but what's different or what's changed or what still is relevant about that and what we said, you know, four, five, six, seven years ago. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let us know what you guys want to hear. We are planning to uh, just dive deep in a lot of cool stuff this year and would love to make sure that that includes what you guys listening want to hear. So let us know. As always, just send an email to podcast at xomountaingear.com. Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to hit subscribe or follow if you haven't yet. This week's full-length episode is releasing on Wednesday, and it is with Montana um, Fish Parks and Wildlife to continue our state series that we've been doing. Montana is definitely a state we had a lot of interest in and questions about. And that's releasing this week. So again, just make sure you're subscribed. You'll get the episode. And let us know by sending an email if you've got any questions, topics, suggestions, etc. We'll talk to you soon.